Hello, heroes. Welcome to Modifier. I'm your host, Megan Dornbrock. Hey, heroes. This week I had the extreme delight of chatting with Fraser Simons for another episode. Last year we talked a lot about cyberpunk, and this year is only slightly different. Fraser's new game, Hack the Planet, is a cyberpunk and climate fiction, or cli-fi, hack of Blades in the Dark. So it's the cyberpunk stuff you might be expecting, but with an interesting twist in that the climate crisis has accelerated and changed our world beyond recognition. Blades in the Dark is itself technically a hack of Apocalypse World, but it's such a wide and interesting departure that it's really cool to see the new games it itself inspires. Hack the Planet takes advantage of the deeper lore and the world-building of Blades to present a game that lets you approach this world of terrifying weather from a ton of different perspectives. But I won't spoil it for you. Let's get to the show. So I am joined this week again uh, by Fraser Simons, who's who's back for the second time. Hello. Welcome. Hello. Thanks for having me again. Yeah, my pleasure. It's, it's a super exciting for me. Um, last time we talked about the Cascade, right, which was the supplement to the veil. Mm-hmm. And you were kickstarting that. We were talking about how that was going. And I never get to ask this. Uh, how'd that go? It went really well. It did, uh, I think, like 7K more than the original Veil Kickstarter, which is pretty crazy oh, since wow. it's like a supplement for the the game. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it did more than the more. It raised more money than the initial game, which is strange from what I'm told. Anyway, usually people huh. say that supplements generally will do less, um, but. Yeah. Yeah, it, it did really well, and it's actually fulfilling right now. People are getting their copies in the mail this week. Oh, wow. That's cool. Mm-hmm. Very, very timely. Um, yeah. So maybe maybe since uh, kickstarting the veil, lots of other people got on board and realized what they were missing, so they had to come around for the supplement. Yeah, um, well, I think what really helped it out, too, was Friends at the Table started playing the veil, too. So I, I'm sure we got yeah. an Austin bump, right? <laughs> yeah. That'll do it. Get a prominent AP podcast to play your game. That's the hot tip. (laughs) Yeah. Well, it was pretty amazing for me because when I was writing the first book of The Veil, I was Mm -hmm. listening to Counterweight, one of their APs for Friends of the Table, and then Mm -hmm. they started playing my game. So it was a little bit surreal. I was like, whoa, this is mind blowing a little bit. <laughs> did they did they like reach out to you at all? Were you warned this was gonna happen or did it just like show up in your feed one day? Like so, so how it happened actually was I emailed Austin because I knew he had done reviews or has an interest in tabletop games, and I was like, Hey, I made a cyberpunk thing. Do you think you'd be interested in checking it out? And then after like a week or two or something, he was like, This is pretty cool. And then it slowly evolved into like, hey, we're going to be playing this soon. And I was like, whoa. <laughs> so, yeah, I was like, well, at least oh, let man. me send you guys like the books and stuff. And they were like, yeah, yeah they're just really kind and, and gracious people. Because even then they were like, I don't know, like, are you sure it's okay to send us books? And I was like, I'm pretty sure <laughs> it's fine. <laughs> yeah. Please accept the book for which you oh. are playing the game. <laughs> oh no! Yeah. Oh, that's really cute and sweet. Oh. Yeah. So, and then they played it for like twenty 
six episodes or something like that. And now they're on yeah. to Scum and Villainy, which is also awesome. I'm waiting for that to drop uh, in a month or two, mm. I think. Oh, man. Oh, this this games via Kickstarter life is so... <laughs> oh, yeah. Like, you got to save stressful. up money for March and April, hey? Like, that's when the stuff goes down. Yeah. There's a lot happening right now. And it's it's... And you're contributing to that again this year. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, thank you. And also, maybe you hate me a little bit. <laughs> yeah, maybe Never. next time I'll do a different month or something. Because yeah. everyone's like, oh, my God, we are definitely in the heat of things now. <laughs> mm-hmm. It is that season. Um, well, cool. I'm glad it I'm glad it went well. I never get to, like, follow up and check in on, on how stuff went, especially Kickstarters, because I feel like they're they're so just manic and stressful and it's such a weird thing that we do to ourselves yeah and it's also like it's also a little bit weird with kickstarters because depending on how well it does is not necessarily how well it went for the creators like Mm -hmm. you know like there's all those stories about people raising tons of money and then somehow they never actually produce it and then go broke and stuff and that always like amazes slash terrifies me a little bit and Mm -hmm. um so yeah it just depends like how much overhead and whatnot it goes into it um it's it's definitely interesting i always like to check in with creators too like the the big one that i saw on this year's facebook was i have mark richardson on my facebook the headspace creator Mm -hmm. and he he went through like a whole fiasco with his publishing thing right so it's like shipping and stuff yeah yeah like they were all mold and messed up and stuff like that but his kickstarter does did really well and he released like a uh, an overview of where the spending went spending went and everything so it's Mm -hmm. interesting to me that like the way a consumer is like oh this raised x amount so it must be just all gravy for them. But then if you're friends with Mark, then he's just like, fuck my life. Right. (laughs) Yep. So, Oh yeah. I saw some of those posts. Oh my gosh. And it, and it never quite stops. Yeah. The price of success. (laughs) Yeah. But it's really fine. I don't don't think he'd have it any other way. So. Yeah. I mean, the, the other way is like, it never gets produced, which I'm sure if you asked him, yeah, wanted it one way or the other he might pause for a second but i think i know the answer (laughs) (laughs) well speaking of of successful kickstarters um you are you're doing another cyberpunk related game that is we're kind of talking about it a little bit through the campaign and it's funded and that's cool Oh yeah, it's doing really well. Like, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, I thought Cascade did quite well at doing twenty eight ish k. I think twenty eight and k, and this one's already at like I think last time I checked, it's at like thirty five k. Which I don't know what the U.S. is. They always they never tell me what the U.S. equivalent is because I'm in Canada. So oh, I think I'm looking at it in U.S. and I think it's twenty seven. So yeah, yeah. So there you go. Crafty region information. Yeah. yeah, So this this is we're going to talk a little bit about Hack the Planet, which is surprising no one. Another cyberpunk game, but it's it's got a little more to it than that. Yeah, Um, I tried to be a little bit more um, intersectional with this one, and uh, yeah, with with all my designs, I'm trying to sort of like have people edge into cyberpunk and dissuade 
the sort of normal view of cyberpunk, which is like the retro futuristic style over substance thing and, mm-hmm. and bring people into a little bit of different cyberpunk that like second and third wave stuff. And now that uh, climate fiction is so relevant to our lives, I'm, yeah. trying to, I'm trying to like recontextualize those old cyberpunk tropes and or what I would call like classicals and uh, make them a little bit more relevant and pertinent by combining it with climate fiction that I've now been reading quite a lot too. So, yeah. so now my life is cyberpunk reading and climate fiction reading. So it's like, oh boy, I know. Yeah, that, that's the other thing we talked about was we got quite a book list uh, from our last episode. So what what kind of stuff has has prompted you to think about climate sci-fi or cyberpunk? Like, what what you've been reading? <laughs> yeah, the thing that mostly prompted it is uh, Heavy Weather by Bruce Sterling, which is actually like. I would say probably first wave cyberpunk. It was done, I think, late 80s, early 90s at the max, I think. And mm-hmm. it's kind of like, hey, what if the people in Twister who chase, you know, tornadoes and s- storm systems and stuff like that were in the future and the climate events that people keep warning us are on the verge of happening have already happened. And so it's a cyberpunk future because you know, governments are basically non-existent or have very little power. Banks are pretty much wiped out. There's some forms of cryptocurrency, but yeah, but it's basically it. And the internet is gone because these, these massive storms and earthquakes and stuff have literally shifted land masses and uh, servers and whatnot that perpetuate the internet is just not a thing anymore. So these, uh, these, People are desperately and sort of characterized as daredevils as well, just like in Twister. But their main goal is to hit all these subsystems, and they know that an F6 is is coming, which is like, ah, the mother of storm systems is coming. <laughs> you know, the typical thing. And oh, man. they want to get all the data from that and study it and try try to figure out what's going on in this, in this world. It's got some cyberpunk tropes in it as well. And then um, also with that, I read the wind up girl. I'm not sure if we talked about that in cascade, but that's another cyberpunk book that is kind of classified as biopunk these days. And Mm -hmm. it's a similar situation. It takes into account all these climate shifts and changes it takes place um, where there are like actual manufactured people, which is the wind up girl and mm-hmm. uh, their lives that they're having to live because of scarcity. And the interesting thing about it that I found was even in the very opening pages of the book, they're talking about like gene hacked food because of sustenance mm-hmm. problem with so many people in the world and stuff like that. Right. Uh, And the level of control that gives you over, especially people in poverty and stuff and how you could even, it's sort of like a Jurassic park thing where they're like bringing back these old fruits and vegetables by hacking the gene code of existing things. And um, yeah, it's, it's the world contextualized from scarcity being food and, and an encroaching doom of, in this case, it was like a the um, sort of Blade Runner twenty forty nine. the The water mm-hmm. is ever rising and crashing against the city, and 
is like the doomsday clock is ticking as these machinations are, are going throughout the city and people are living their lives. Um, and the main form of power are these wind up devices that take labor to power them. And then they put them into various devices as a technology. And, uh, huh. so I took those ideas and I'm putting them into hack the planet, which is, basically uh, a huge massive shelter constructed by corporations that is now being sort of perverted into a mega city that we we all know uh, from cyberpunk mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. there's that kind of technology with wind up stuff happening it takes human labor and it's in the blades in the dark system so just like blades in the dark nice. is a commentary on John's thinking of, of poverty and how, like, what that does to people and why people turn to crime and how hard it is to get out of that kind of, yeah. um, struggle and, and systemic oppression and control, basically. So it was, it was, it mapped very well to cyberpunk in my thinking. So I'm just sort of tweaking it here and there to get the feel that I want. But, uh, it was really great because, Blades in the Dark has a very different feel than PBTA, where PBTA, mm -hmm. powered by the apocalypse for people that don't know, you sort of present the world through all the moves. And there is like some setting and flavor in the text, but it's mostly done through the playbooks and stuff like that. Whereas mm -hmm. Blades is like very much upfront about the setting being in the text and the playbooks yeah. are more about like, mechanical uh, fictional positioning that the players get. And there is some flavor in that, but it's not overall used as a communication of the setting compared to PBTA. So it was really cool right. going into the system. So, so it seems like blades in the dark was kind of the, like the choice then for what you were looking to do. Yeah. Well, because it's such a weird intersectional cyberpunk, like I, mm -hmm. I can only think of maybe three or four books that are even doing it. Uh, so there certainly isn't like established media and tropes and stuff for it. I thought that uh, putting it in blades would work well because I get to put all the setting information up front in the text and people can just consume it that way. And then, yeah. And then the setting or the system and the mechanics already jived with cyberpunk quite well. Like you're already these, people on the fringes of society and mm -hmm. you have like a different crew where you're trying to make your, it could be making more uh, rep and cred for the purposes of taking over the city because you've had enough, mm -hmm. or it could also be subverting the systemic control as well. So uh, yeah, it was just, it was just like a, a really smooth, switch. I had this sort of idea and setting ready since Blades was in playtesting in version like 1.5 or something like that, <laughs> which was like two years ago, I think. Yeah. Yeah. It's been a little while. Yeah. So I had it ready to go and then the SRD came out. So I pulled the trigger on it. Nice. Good move. Is Was there much that you had to change about Blades to, to fit this better, to fit Hack the Planet? 
Not really. Like I, I really wanted to be playing Blades, which was <laughs> helpful. Mm-hmm. And so I've modified it so that you can do cybernetics in it, which is okay. um, a modification to the stress system. You can get oh, okay, yeah, you can get um, extra action dots so that you get a bigger dice pool, and basically you substitute stress permanently to get those dots. So it's like a form of pushing your luck by uh, increasing your, your or modifying your body with cybernetics. And there's also mm-hmm. an XP track um, to accrue that stress back because I didn't want to fall into the trope of cybernetics either eating up people's essence at a, at a like shadow run and mm-hmm. also kind of being shitty to handicap people where it's like, oh, you have this thing that can help you, but you're also like mm-hmm. less, you can't take as much stress yeah. than other people. So instead it's sort of like a, this hurts your, or modifies your body now, but you can work to increase that if you want to and put your XP there. Cool. Yeah. That's, I, I really appreciate that, that thought. I feel like that gets, uh, that gets overlooked a lot. Yeah. How, 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 cybernetics are sort of our our corollary to that in most games uh, yeah usually it's uh it I, I wouldn't say it's like gets treated poorly but well at least now but in the first waves yeah. definitely like hey guys, it was yeah it should probably look at that <laughs> <laughs> it has definitely been pointed to in academia with people like raising their heads <laughs> slightly mm-hmm. <laughs> So for sure, yeah, yeah. Um, and I'm trying to think. It's it's been a little while since I've played uh, Blades too. I think we were playing it maybe around the same time when the SRD and stuff came out. But there's like supernatural weirdness, right? That kind of comes into play too, and in, in, in not just in the fluff, but in some of the mechanics. Is that something that you dealt with, or how how'd you handle that? Yeah. So the uh, kind of like the allegory of the weird stuff is what I'm calling acts mm-hmm. of God in it, which is crazy climate system changes. So it could be earthquakes. It could be massive storm systems, uh, basically natural things that you're having to contend with that have ramped up because of the effects of climate change. And so mm, okay. they, they still have like a kind of supernatural thing about them because you, you really don't understand them. And because the internet's down, there's this sort of weird, kind of systemic control where the gov- the corporations are the one that have the recovered information on that kind of work and you're not privy to it. So because you are living in like a shelter with a whole bunch of climate refugees and stuff, there's like a natural propensity to make them mythical and, and strange because it, they're not understood. But um, in there's no overt like there are ghosts and ectoplasm and stuff like that. It's more (laughs) like, um, I think hacking and technological things as well as retro futuristic technology and the acts of God takes the place of, of that kind of stuff. Yeah. There, there's a couple stretch goals, um, being done by like Ashton McAllen, Andrew Gillis, uh, Melody Watson and stuff that are kind of leaning into weirder technology, but it's more, uh, transhumanistic and stuff like that. Instead of like oh, cool. just over super strange, supernatural, unexplained stuff, uh, Kira McGran is doing the the cybernetic kind of witches. The like if you played the um, occult 
one, I think, or mm-hmm. the the cultists crew. She's doing sort of mm. like the hack the planet version of that crew in uh, in it, and I'm excited for what she comes up with, especially since in her bio she calls herself a, like a queer cyborg feminist, right? So I was like, hmm, <laughs> seems like you're excellent enjoying your jam. <laughs> oh, good. We have a, a specialist on the case. That's good. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, so um, I'm going to back up a little bit because I, we may have talked about Blades in the Dark in passing on the show. I don't know if we've ever like gotten into it. Right. So just um, quick recap, I guess is like it is powered by the apocalypse, but like just barely. Yeah. And we you've mentioned crews, so there are there's playbooks like for each character. You can you're a specific type of of crew member but your crew also has its own playbook like what type of crew that you are um you mentioned the cultists and like i think i played smugglers something um so like there's different types of things that your group gets up to and then the other thing that i think really stands out about blades uh at least to me is there are there are like these maps and you are you're doing things to acquire more territory within this city and like you're coming up against other groups that are outlined in the book um, that you have different levels of relationship with good or bad. Uh, and then they're like, there's such interesting group, diverse groups of people, you know, like whether they are into the weird cult stuff or their law enforcement or their like pirates or it's very, very cool. Yeah. And I kept all, all of that for this too. I think um, like the, there's still factions, there's still territory. It is a little bit different depending on your crew. For instance, if you're uh, Comets, then you uh, have like a home base and all that kind of stuff in Shelter One, the the mega city. But you have mm-hmm. an airship and you're going outside of the city and dropping oh my gosh. airships to scrounge for old technology or or burglar different things and uh, stuff like that. And then there's also shifters, which are like the actual storm chasers where you're pretty much always out of the city and you're always hunting these massive storm systems and acts of God and trying to get specific kinds of information or whatever you want to do with them. And the way mm-hmm. that I've got it is that every crew has a relationship to the acts of God that they choose uh, when they create their, their like when they fill out all the options on the crew, there's special mm-hmm. abilities that are specific to them. And there's like recommended ones for each one, but you could take whichever one that you like. And so you can have a crew that kills the weather. You could have a crew that, uh, just wants to get info from it and sell it. And there's ones that uh, like their special ability is to run away from it even. So if you're like data runners or something like that, and you're just like, no, that's that's not our jam. We just leave <laughs> that you could do that. <laughs> but uh, for whatever one that you choose, you'll be having a relationship with the weather. And via the clock system in the mm. game, you'll have repercussions and changes in the world based on what you're doing with them. Like if you're killing the weather, they'll, they'll probably be recur, uh, repercussions later on, <laughs> for instance. <laughs> probably. Yeah. And um, a big thing for me in it was that I wanted forged territories or communities, which are the people outside of Shelter One that have relationships to the city, but are doing different things um, and surviving out there. So like forged by the elements, essentially. And they're going to be sort of 
set pieces of climate fiction that I'm reading where people mm -hmm. have human ingenuity coming into play and like adapting to this new lifestyle and maybe selling water to shelter one or uh, gene hacking certain things or, you know, X, X weird thing that has a relationship with the shelter and doing different things. So the shifters, instead of accruing technology or not technology, sort of turf and certain crew advances that are specific to the city, like the other ones and in Blades in the Dark, instead you'll be getting relationships with those communities outside of it. So um, you'll, you'll have like a, oh. a pretty disparate range of uh, crews and what they're doing. It won't all just be like mercenaries in shelter one doing this thing. The crew really focuses the fiction in, in various different parts of the setting. And so uh, people could be playing radically different games of hack the planet. Oh, wow. Mm hmm. Oh man. Okay. So first question is, um, then the, the maps and stuff that they're using for turf, is it these other territories? Like it's, it's the city and then some outside, like it depends on the crew. So if you're, if you're oh, the shifters, okay. which are the like climate, uh, you're basically, you have a convoy and you chase these systems, your mm -hmm. advances on your crew sheet are going to be specific relationships with forge technologies or, um, communities. And then okay. if you're the mercenaries ones, then you're centered in shelter one and, it, and it'll be more of a, um, the type of play that people are used to with blades in the dark where you're like encroaching on technology and doing all that kind of stuff. Yeah. So you could be doing either. It just depends on what you want to be doing. I think some people will be like, yeah, I want to play futuristic twister and figure out like all these weird, <laughs> like communities and what they're doing and, and checking out these set pieces. And then other people are just going to be like, I want to be Mercs in the city and play like the blades in the dark in, in a cyberpunk climate mm -hmm. fiction thing. And so you can, you can do either. Oh, wow. Okay. So, uh, with, with having these so, like wildly different games that people can be playing, what overall, I guess, are you hoping that players experience when they play this, no matter which, which version, what type of crew they end up playing, what are, what are you kind of hoping they get from it? Yeah. The, the truths of the system will still be the same as blades in the dark where you're like in poverty or something close akin to it. You're, you're not willing to integrate yourself into the system in order to make, you know, X amount of money to survive. Instead mm -hmm. you're outside of quote unquote, the law and um, doing some sort of criminal activities or uh, fringe society stuff in order to get by. Okay. And either way, you're either participating in the system or you're struggling against it. So it maps quite well to, to Blades. You're still going to be doing uh, fairly the same things. The only difference will be what um, like lens you're putting on specifically in the setting for what you're interested in seeing like people that are not into playing in a mega city will go with uh, the playbooks outside of it and uh, vice versa. The people yeah. that want to participate in the mega city can do that. And I think that'll give people space to play the game uh, with different people and experience like, you know, really different fiction. Yeah. But the, the, the intention of it is to, 
have people experience the same cyberpunk uh, tropes that they you know know and love but have it contextualized for climate fiction to say like oh that's pretty interesting and also maybe maybe learn a little bit about what cli-fi is trying to teach us about what is what could be coming um because when i read climate fiction some of it is very cyberpunk mm-hmm. depending on what actually happens with uh that specific climate fiction like if there's only a little bit more oxygen in the in the atmosphere than radically different changes to animals and um insects and stuff oh, like that yeah. can happen versus a little bit more like minor changes where we already know that the glaciers are melting and breaking apart and stuff like that. So for mm-hmm. instance, there's a, a group of called porters in the game who send out heavy lift shifts to harpoon mm-hmm. icebergs and bring them back to shelter one for drinking water. So, so it's oh, kind of wow. like cyberpunky, but also climate fiction. And then also people are like, Oh, clearly water is a non-renewable resource for us. What does that mean for the city? And stuff like that. Mm. So how difficult is this to play test then? If you've got so many different possibilities? Um, I don't think it'll be too difficult just because if you look at it from a system wise thing, uh, the crew advances are just like options that you can take. It's just that they're presented as encroaching territory, but really it's just like things that you can accrue and, depending on if you're there or not and how big your your group is, people could take it back from you. So I think that system-wise, it's not too bad. It's just the the like mental leap where where the crew sheet very much looks like, you know, the blocks and stuff that you're you're taking up. Mm-hmm. I think we're going to change that look on the crew sheet depending on what you're doing so that people can clearly look at the crew and be like, oh, okay, these, these people are not in the city taking up territory. They're doing whatever. Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think play test wise, it won't be too bad just because we're more interested in making sure that it has the same pacing and uh, tight mechanics that blades has. And really all you're substituting is the like quote unquote advancement. It just looks like a little bit different in the fiction. Yeah, mm-hmm. so I think it'll be pretty good, and I'm I'm running it for people that were following me when I was doing the veil. I I'm gonna be doing my my crazy playtest thing that I did with the veil, where I ran it like three to five uh, days a week. <laughs> yeah, oh. so that's that's fine. That's that's sustainable. Yeah, it'll be cool. <laughs> I'll just you know be living living blades. <laughs> And, um, yeah. And then part of the, once we get the money from the Kickstarter, which takes like typically two to three weeks after the Kickstarter is done, the first order of business is to compile a quick start document, just like scum and villainy and blades in the dark, like an evolving Mm -hmm. document. And, uh, I'm planning on having a box just like scum and villainy saying like, Hey, you can do whatever you want with this quick start, but I'd be super interested in, in getting X feedback back from you. And it, it'll probably yeah. be those crews that are like a little bit different for people so that we can have the, cool. the text to support um, what we're, what we're doing in that mental leap to something different. Awesome. Yeah. Cool. Why don't we talk a little bit then, I guess about like 
the the specifics of of what you've done with uh with Hack the Planet, like what types of crews people have and and the types of characters that are in this, at least currently. Sure, yeah. There's there's quite a few coming actually because we hit so many stretch goals. Yeah. I think we hit like oh, I don't know. I didn't actually count, but I think like uh, over ten or something like that. Like several. Yeah. So, so on the on the Kickstarter page, you've got uh like seven character types, definitely. Yeah. Or on there, are those are those kind of one to one for what is already in Blades? Are they kind of? Yeah, they're like the the cyberpunk version of the Blade playbooks that map quite well. So if people are just like, cool, I just want to be like a a cutter or whatever in, yeah. in this version, then you'd pick the the edge the enhanced leader and soldier person. Um, okay. And if you want to be like a tracker sniper, which would be like a, the houndish kind of person, then you'd pick the lens, which has, um, instead of a hunting pet, you've got a drone, which can do certain things. So if you're like super into the archetypes of blades, most of them have survived the switch to, to the cyberpunk hack the planet version. I don't have okay. all of them. Um, but yeah, there's there's at least seven of them. And then the stretch goals that we unlocked are sort of the ones that are super unique to the setting and mm-hmm. introducing different things like transhumanism and stuff like that. That's very cool. Yeah. And we, we also unlock the... Um, so I, I recon- what I was really excited about actually is that there is a crew type called Tracers now, which before was not going to be in the game as an actual thing, but... Tracers in the game are basically like the Blade Runners of the um, setting where they're Mm. hunting specific people down. Um, There's not like high-tech replicants and stuff like that, but what it is is they have cybernetics eyes that are connected to information, which is a the actual corporation is called information that controls information. So it's very, (laughs) yeah, (laughs) it's, it's all the goes that way. Um, Excellent. They're privy to certain information and they can also see like CO2 emissions and stuff like that. And so they are continually hunting people that are quote unquote, like contributing to the, uh, the climate change still, but also hunting down people that did previously to imprison them and, and make them the labor force of the city. And Oh God. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, they're, they're basically the, I was like, how could, what would blade runners look like in this setting and in cyberpunk now without, you know, robots and stuff like that. And the answer was that like, Oh, well, these these corporations who were actually probably the ones that contributed the most to climate change, right, are funding and providing information to these people who think that they are doing like good work and mm-hmm. finding people who uh, are called tippers in the setting, people who tipped uh, the climate to change in this drastic way, and mm-hmm. are you know a little bit. I don't know if persecuted is the right word, but they're definitely looked down on and hunted mm-hmm. by these people just so that the shelter and the these corporations, the corporate console that run the shelter are looked upon favorably to seeing that like they're doing something about this because mm. from time to time a, a twister drops into the city and the shelter is built to withstand those things. But it's very 
predominant in people's minds that this is still happening and something needs to be done about it. And so they have this, this system of uh, oppression basically that uh, Mm -hmm. shows people that they're doing something about it, but what they're doing is making other people power the city for them basically. Awesome. Yeah. So one of the stretch goals was making that a crew type. So instead of being someone resisting the system, you're going to be people starting out as tracers who are like going up the food chain and going up the tiers (laughs) to being full on like people that are oppressing other people. So it'll be interesting to see that change in it. You can have uh, like... Each crew type has opportunities given to them, just like in Blades. So if you're smugglers, there's like all these lists of options of what you might be doing in the fiction to help out the the GM and the players uh, decide what ones they want. So, well, some of them will be, you know, the, the normal stuff like take down the corporations and do all this other stuff with the, the crew types. This one instead will be like cracking down on the people that, the other people playing this game are, are going to be playing as, which I think is interesting. Oh, <laughs> oh, that's, that's fun. That's always exciting to work against everyone at your table. Yeah. Well, I was, I was excited about it because the notion of me maybe running, especially since I'm going to be running multiple games of this and obviously the, mm-hmm. the tracers are going to be needing more play testing than others because it's such a different playbook <laughs> or crew type. It would be interesting if uh, the worlds were only loosely connected where like the tracer crew does something in your fiction. And then when I go to play the game with the other people, I change up some factions that way. So it's not like, I don't want it so that like the other, they're literally being hunted by the other players, but just sprinkling in a little bit of the fiction that the tracers are doing would be Mm -hmm. something that on a meta level tickles my fancy, I guess. Oh no, that's a really good idea. Yeah. (laughs) You got you to keep it interesting for you, you know? So Yeah, yeah, for sure. <laughs> Man, oh, I have lots of questions now. Um, but <laughs> I was going to ask, so what's, what's like general public opinion of the state of the world in this fiction? Is it just like, oh, this is... This is fine. This will be fine. Yeah. That dog comic. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so the general state of things is that the corporations definitely are reducing the amount of content that people consume. And there is actually a faction that are sort of like the dissidential reporters that are actually Mm -hmm. trying to like scrounge for hard drives and release actual information so that it kind of subverts the, the government. But on the whole, people don't really know what's going on, and that's how they want you, like, confused and cool. vulnerable. Mm-hmm. Um, all they really know is that they should hate tippers, right? Because this is their fault. Mm. And right. so tracers come by, there's a mixture of, like, fear and also, like, don't get in their way. And, and if they take your neighbor, then it's because they were wrong and they deserved it. Yeah. So, But yeah, you... If that's something that interests you, then you can always be a crew that wants to get information via acts of God yeah. and then uncover this mm. mystery. Yeah, that's very cool. Mm-hmm. It just feels very um, uncomfortably possible. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> this fiction that you've, yeah, <laughs> which I'm sure is the point. Good job. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's, that's a thing. <laughs> 
And yeah. um, instead of like, you know, how Blades has heritage where there was the uh, fictional allegories for countries and stuff like that, that you would pick. Mm-hmm. Uh, since you're all climate refugees, that's sort of been a done, done away with people saying that you're from Iraq means nothing to somebody because it may or may not exist to them anymore. Mm. The known reach of humanity is just like what is safe outside of the walls and defined as the known reach of man, literally. (laughs) Like it's all that they are aware of because they can't communicate with the outside. The internet is gone. If anyone can, it's the corporations and not you. So what is instead defined is your route, which is how you came to get to the city. And you can choose like uh, that you're a tipper. So you're one of the people hiding from the tracers and stuff like that. You can be a grasshopper, (laughs) which is somebody who (laughs) came there via land. So close by somewhere like that. You can be wet, which is you came from across the water and you can be like completely unknown. You don't know how you got there. And uh, you can be forged, which is you came from a, a community close by that, uh, has a relationship with shelter one and stuff like that. And there's a couple other options, but the, the main point is that it changes when you're all refugees and you're all in a shelter. It is like what ends up happening is that people's cultures get put into like a milieu of in the city. And Mm. so telling people that you're Canadian or you're American or whatever, (laughs) only basically tippers and stuff like the older people would actually understand what you're even saying to them. So because information is withholding the information, it's like another form of oppression where their culture is sort of almost being wiped out as well. And the people that are living in the districts are trying to like not make that happen. So there's still people define their culture in a lot of different ways, like through their food and through their fashion and stuff Mm -hmm. like that. So I, I, it was important to me that this cyberpunk future um, looked like a vast amount of um, different cultures being put together, but also that it was like kind of horrible that some of this stuff (laughs) is being taken away from them without their knowledge of it because they don't even know how to speak about it anymore. Right. They're all refugees oh, in the city. There's no like there. There is um, a route that is foundation, which is you are one of the workers or or part of the people that built this city up. But that doesn't really mean anything to people either. Like they're not like oh, cool, you're native to shelter one. What does that mean, <laughs> right? Like this is just yeah. This is just a construction. <laughs> so oh. yeah. Is is there like uh, an approximate timeline for like how long people have been in this place? Or yeah, from our timeline, it's like uh, the climate change happened a lot faster. People are predicting right now and in, in Clify mm, that yeah. it's like going to be fifty years or something. But instead, it was like thirty, mm-hmm. and then it's probably like fifty years in the future from now that people are living in shelter okay. one. But the world doesn't resemble anything that we look for right now. Like I I'm trying to make it so that whatever the map looks like, it will be um, Mm -hmm. a foreign construction to us. Like we can't look at shelter one and the reach, um, which is what the whole map will be called the reach just for an approximation Mm -hmm. of the reach of humanity Mm -hmm. resembles. Like you couldn't be like, Oh, that's the East coast of 
America or whatever. <laughs> so, oh, okay. Yeah, because of flooding and stuff like that that's happened yeah. and earthquakes and various other climate events, it will it won't resemble whatever. Like it could have it could for all we know be central North America, but because of flooding and various things of where it's located, there's water crashing mm-hmm. against it on the east side and we would have assume that it'd be East coast, North America, but it's not because of all these changes. So yeah. Yeah. Acts of God will do that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. <laughs> and it, it was funny too, because a lot of people that are familiar with cyberpunk are like, Oh, hack the planet. He must really like um, hackers, right? Like it's a famous line from hackers, mm-hmm. but hack the planet is very much more of a like climate fiction thing. Um, if you look it up now, yeah. it's, it's like, people actively looking to change the planet so that we're not completely screwed right now. And there's blogs called like hack the planet and there's, it's like a, mm-hmm. a sh- shorthand that people use in, in cli to try to fix stuff. There's lots of different cool ideas that people mm-hmm. have, like even um, a, a version of hacking the, the glaciers and stuff like that was people using these uh, crop dusters to put up all these particulates so that when the sun shines down, it's blocked by them in the lower atmosphere, stuff like that. And people would refer to that as like hacking the planet. So, yeah. Yeah. I've had numerous Mm -hmm. people on Facebook be like, Oh, like this is, doesn't look like hackers. (laughs) Like that is true. (laughs) You are correct. (laughs) Good. I figured it out. Hopefully they're not too disappointed. But oh no, I think they doesn't, just doesn't look like it. Yeah, I th- <laughs> yeah. that's part of why I wanted the game to be intersectional. I think that you know, the more cyberpunk that we get, obviously I love cyberpunk and you know <laughs> give it give it all to me. But uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, this is this seems to be a space that nobody's working, and so I was really interested in combining it with climate fiction because. Climate fiction is very yeah. cool. I on a lark I bought um Loosed Upon the World, which is like a the guy who wrote Nexus, a biopunk book from I don't know, ages ago. He's the editor and he compiled all these stories and some of them are so interesting and cool. So I was like, man, this this totally could be the retro future that I, I've been looking for because Usually I'm not into like first wave cyberpunk and stuff because it makes no sense anymore. <laughs> You're just like, hey, yeah. we have cell phones and and like pay phones are not a thing. <laughs> There's all these things that they got right and things that they got wrong. But I was thinking like if acts of God did happen and climate change happened ahead of schedule and the landscape was scarred and changed, then the retro futuristic stuff that people like about cyberpunk could be possible in Shelter One. Mm. Oh, that's really neat. Mm-hmm. Well, I guess we've we've talked around the Kickstarter a bit, um, but that is happening right now. Yes. Uh, and should still have several days by the time this episode goes up. Mm-hmm. And for for people that haven't checked out uh, Sam Joko publishing Kickstarters before, mm-hmm. we always make the product um, the cheapest that you can get it on the Kickstarter as a we're we don't want it to be just like a pre-order system. We want it to be like you're a backer and it might not be exactly the same as being like a, a stakeholder in a company or something like that. But we want you to have um, something of a bonus for for helping us make the actual product via Kickstarter versus 
people that come to mm-hmm. us later versus um, just like buying the product. So uh, it's the cheapest that you can get it. And you're also helping me pay for all these awesome people via like the, the more we raise, the more of better the product uh, becomes and you get it cheaper. So, yeah. Yeah. We get to unlock all the, all the stretch goals you were talking about with the playbooks and crews and looks like locations. And yeah. Yeah. There's, there's lots of cool stuff. Yeah. The, the 40,000 one, the sort of bigger one that's on there right now is a new crew mm-hmm. where Ashton's making the Rangers, which are seem like transhumanistic people that, preserve genetic diversity and it says they roam shelters and wild searching for samples and specimens using cyber uh cyberbiotic technologies to dispatch any obstacles in their way so it's like a a different take on what a ranger could be which is really synonymous with what i have going on with the entire setting where these like terms that we are familiar with have been changed because the world has changed so when people talk about like an election, for instance, I'm toying with having it so that just like an infomocracy, a, a newer cyberpunk book, maybe mm-hmm. Shelter One is just getting on its feet and it's going to have an election to see who's going to like run the place. And oh, yeah. So then, so then you could be people subverting that, right? Like you could be people oh that are rigging the election or subverting it or using it to harm specific corporations. And so the factions will really come into play there, like the, the friendliness of them as well. But I'll also have like an overlay where the sentinels, centennials, I think it's called in the book, every 3000 people have like a, a right to a micro democracy and their various blocks. So it could even be like, information and then nourish the gene hacking corporation. And then like, it just changes throughout all of these different blocks. But then there's this super majority uh. of whoever is like making the overarching laws and stuff like that. So you could be like, Oh man, we got to get into this Sentinel and, and make sure that the people don't vote for nourish so that you like, you know, subvert or, or um, get the, the people running the, the underground newspaper to release a damaging story in that specific sector to, so that they don't vote for nourish and stuff like that. So I think that would be a really cool kind of uh, optional overlay that people could throw on it. Oh, that sounds really cool. And the Rangers sound cool as hell. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so that will be like another one where I'm assuming Ashton would probably have the upgrades for the crew contextualized as being perhaps apart from shelter one since they're going through the the different environments so yeah I'm, i'm really interested in in having people bring whatever they know about climate fiction like ashton is from australia so she is bringing a whole bunch of different things going on there with transhumanism stuff that are allegories for like queer culture, indigenous culture and stuff like that. So we're like tricking you into learning and stuff. Yeah. <laughs> How dare you? Yeah. But it'll be fun. I promise. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, and we're not about learning. No, yeah. no, that sounds, that sounds good. Oh, excellent. We'll have the link then of course, like we do in the show notes um, and on Twitter and what else what else should we know about hack the planet anything 
I'm sure there's a lot that I'm forgetting. <laughs> but well, it's going to be like a 400-page book or something. So there's a lot. <laughs> yeah, it's going to be quite big. It's going to be graphic novel size, full color as well. So that will be really fun. Um, I'm. Oh, it's going to be beautiful. I'm getting quotes mm-hmm. to see what it will take to upgrade from soft cover to hardcover. So if we do that, mm-hmm. then that'll be a stretch goal. So it's it's not going to be like two separate print runs. It'll just be if we hit it in the Kickstarter and you help us do that. Uh, all of the print run will just be hardcovers for everybody. Ooh. Yeah. So that'll be the big so thing. Um, depending on what the, the quote is, we'll make a stretch goal for it. So if you're on the fence, you could be the one that uh, helps everybody get a hardcover. Woo. And um, other than that, I think just know that if you, if you're super into blades in the dark in the system, uh, a good point of of knowledge for you, whether you'll like this or not, is that apart from the the massive setting change, and which means the items and the special abilities for them will be substantially different along with the crews, it still plays mm-hmm. like blades. So that would be a yeah. a good a good point for for people wondering if it's for them or not. Like if you're like, oh man, this sounds really cool, but I hate blades. It might not be a thing for you. But mm. if you're like, man, I love blades, but I just couldn't get into the setting or I just really want to consume this setting, then it might be the thing for mm-hmm. you. I think there's some people who are like, oh, Fraser really drifted uh, PBTA a lot. And so I'm, I'm interested to see what he does with blades. This isn't going to be a huge drift. There's like the um the mechanics for cybernetics there's going to be acts of god stuff um which maps really mm-hmm. well to the magnitude mechanics and blades in the dark already so yeah if you're looking to see a huge drift of it this might not be the thing for you but yeah it sounds really good i'm really psyched about this and i'm also like just kind of on a general level like really psyched about seeing blades get hacked that's really interesting to me yeah, I think it's going to be a lot of cool stuff. I think since the SRD just dropped uh, a couple months ago, I think there's been there's probably all the people that have been waiting are, are like ready to go now, right? So there's lots of yeah. cool stuff coming out, and I'm assuming the the stuff funded by the Kickstarter, which is like I don't know, like twenty different things from reskins to whole new playsets and stuff like that coming. And uh, yeah, I'm I'm really enjoying Blades because. It really sort of satiates my desire for a trad game married with PBTA principles. <laughs> it's cool. Yeah. Like it gives you so much sandboxy stuff to work with that I like from say like Stars Without Number, where there's all the factions and you're continually bumping up against people and making new friends and it's like less work then um, Mm -hmm. it's like a a whole new kind of less work than PBTA where like in PBTA, (laughs) you're like, yeah, we'll just, we'll just figure out what happens in this. You're like, I know what happens because you did this. Mm -hmm. The factions are changing this way. And the way that it negotiates the fiction with the players, I think is really interesting where you have to be like on the same page all of the time. Like what you're doing is risky or desperate or controlled and the effect that you'll have is this and that way the player can be like wait what like i thought this was gonna be great effect or whatever and then you (laughs) so everyone's always on the right page and then it's crunchy enough because you're like getting all these um dice a dice pool to hit your your um middling and and full successes and stuff so for me Mm -hmm. it's it's quite nice i i don't really like super crunchy games but this is just like walking the line 
for me that right yeah it, it's super exciting i i definitely agree on that point like it's it's just enough that you can that there's something to sink your teeth into but you're not overwhelmed yeah so yeah especially like if people have some crazy idea in the fiction you can always be like yeah you can totally do that but this is what your <laughs> this is what it will yep. look like unless you get like a crazy amount of crits mm-hmm. or something like that. And mm-hmm. also I really like the Can confirm. Yeah. And I, I really like <laughs> the clock system too. So if people have large goals, you can be like, cool. Okay. Well, that's a huge goal. Like I want to take down a corporation. Okay, cool. Well, step one will look like this and then we'll go to step two, mm-hmm. step three and step four. And you can just progress them with the clocks. And it's like a, a nice way to um, abstract people's larger goals into smaller things that they feel like they're progressing in, in a, in a visual mm-hmm. way, right? They're like, yes, I can see that I'm making progress. Um, I think the whole game's just, yeah, really well made and, and, and great. So cool. I think we're at the point where I ask you, where can people find you and your games on the internet? Uh, yeah, so I'm everywhere at Fraser Simons, I think, mm-hmm. except for like, mm-hmm. I have kind of a stupid name on Twitch, but I don't stream. <laughs> we so. all do. It's fine. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know why, like every other social media platform, I'm just Fraser Simons, but on Twitch. <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. Um, but yeah, Yeah, someone's out there taking all the good names on Twitch and I'm going to find them. So yeah, exactly. It's the only time somebody wanted to be Fraser Simons apparently. So, (laughs) um, but yeah, at Fraser Simons, I'm most predominantly probably on G plus and on Twitter. And I also have a Patreon where I, I make a new PBTA game every month for two bucks for people. And, uh, it's part of an ongoing serialized fiction. So, Every time you play an issue of it, the idea is that you're contributing to a meta narrative and you're you're making like a cool new story, which is set in sort of like, if you picture Fringe or X-Files, you're the mundane people having to contend with all the weird stuff. And then it changes to, to a new thing. So... For instance, the first one that's free that people can find on DriveThru or the samjokopublishing.com website is you're all people who are like in the town robbing a bank, but what's inside the vault is an uncanny supernatural thing. And you define, you mm. define what that is while you play. But then the next one is your people in a suburbia cul-de-sac neighbors who like don't even know each other who are bound together by witnessing the echo of this event. And that's why the, the name of the series is called the uncanny echoes. And then the third one you play takers, which are kind of like the, the weird supernatural aspect of it. So each, Mm -hmm. each three issues and one per month make this kind of arc each time. And the takers go back to suburbia and your goal in suburbia is to get to a truth and, and you accrue ticks and a clock to get there and mm-hmm. takers erase that clock. So you have to go back and Rude. rub clean those things. And it's got like a really interesting aspect to it where you're targeting your old protagonists and modifying them mm-hmm. in a, in a way to like, not remember the thing or whatever. Like there's someone who can uh, tinker with people's memories. There's someone who can actually like 
can paint over things visually. There's four different playbooks for each different thing. So it plays with consent in an interesting way because I would never have made a game where you're like, let's just go to to some random people's houses and pull memories out of their heads. But since you've <laughs> played these people before, you can target your previous protagonist and make the consent whatever you like. And then every single issue, we get like a little snapshot of what this weird, uncanny world is like, and it continues to progress. So it's a it's a year long project where I do it each month, and um, it'll wrap up in January from when I started, and then I'll compile it into a large book. So it'll look like uh, it'll kind of be like a choose your own adventure of PBTA things, and they're all huh. they're all made into like a one shot so you can do it in like two three hours and then you're done there's Mm -hmm. no prep nothing like that you just pick it up you go you play for two or three hours and if you want to see what that looks like on the patreon at the one dollar level you can actually hear us play testing them throughout i edit them and and you can you can see what it's like and then at the end of you know january we'll have a wholly unique story and i'm hoping that as other people play them i hear about how different their echoes and the uncanny events are and stuff it'll, it'll be really neat oh absolutely uh-huh. oh that sounds so cool <laughs> <laughs> well then i'll uh, we'll have those links and heroes please go make that weird and make this kickstarter happen thank you so much fraser this has been awesome yeah thanks a lot i i'm always overjoyed to to talk with you and and listen to your show i think it's fantastic and uh i I feel blessed that i can participate in it and apparently every year (laughs) yeah i'm cool with that we'll we'll keep doing it Uh, i always come away with more books i need to go read so thank you (laughs) on that note if people are looking for at least in canada i don't know if it's in america but the Mm -hmm. worst thing that's ever happened in my life slash the best thing is bookoutlet.ca. Have you heard of this? It's like, you can go there and they only have like a, like a couple month old things, but hardcovers are like five bucks and stuff like that. Oh no. Yes. And it's free shipping on things over 35 bucks. So I'll just get like 12 books at a time. So, Oh boy. But you're spending the same amount. Like I got, I think nine books the other day for like 50 bucks. And so it was like buying two hardcovers or something. And they have like Nebula award winner stuff. Like they, they don't have it anymore, but they did have nine Fox Gambit. They've got like three body problem. They've got Mm -hmm. ever fair, which was, I think won the Nebula award. Um, not too (laughs) sure, but it was in the running anyway. So it has like actual big, cool, sci-fi cyberpunk titles like Cory Doctorow, the walkaway book that just came out a couple months ago, that's there for like $4 or something for the hardcover. Oh, wow. So yeah, if you want to, if you want to blow money on books, there's a new site that is an <laughs> Amazon. That's good. Excellent. Huge thanks again to Fraser for coming back to the show and for broadening my cyberpunk reading horizons once again. As always, you can find the links in the show notes, and the Hack the Planet Kickstarter will run until Saturday, March 31st, so go get on that now. That's it for this week, heroes. You can find Modifier mostly on Twitter at Modifier Podcast. We also have a Tumblr, Facebook, and G+, with varying levels of upkeep success, all under the same Modifier Podcast name. You can email me directly with questions, comments, or show suggestions at modifierpodcast at gmail.com. 
Modifier is a proud member of the OneShot Podcast Network, an incredible family of RPG podcasts that include shows like OneShot, Campaign, Backstory, Adventure, Neoscum, System Mastery, and Talking Tabletop. Neoscum is a future fantasy comedy podcast where five Chicago improvisers antagonize their way through the role-playing classic Shadowrun. It follows a group of misfits and outsiders, a chromehead decker, a teenage candy junkie klepto, a kids show wizard with a petulant thirst for adventure, and the nastiest trucker this side of the Robo Mason Dixon. Join the irascible Neoscum crew as they dole out street justice to every deeb they encounter, whether they deserve it or not. Find out more about all these shows at OneShotPodcast.com. Modifier's theme music was created by my favorite Bothan, Cat Greenfield, whose myriad talents are on display at CatGreenfield.com. Join me again in two weeks for another episode of Modifier. See you then. Thank you.